This episode is brought to you by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, you know that it isn't just your business, it's your life. And whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's why you might want to check out State Farm Small Business Insurance. Why? Because State Farm agents are small business owners too, living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Support for this show comes from Slack. You're a growing business and you can't afford to slow down. If anything, you could probably use a few more hours in the day. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. This is Recode Media with Peter Kafka. That is me coming to you live on tape here with the man who runs CNN, Oliver Darcy. Welcome, Oliver. Very generous. Um, I'm only half joking. You are you are one of the star reporters there. You cover media. Um, you are filling in right now for Brian Stelter, who's yes. on um, maternity leave. So are you doing all of Brian's work? Although I see Brian tweeting and writing a lot still anyway. I think it's impossible to totally remove him from yeah. the Matrix. But this is as much I've seen him removed ever. So, Which is not very. True. Yeah. For, it's, it's basically he's an average person now, average journalist now, right? <laughs> Thank you for coming. You are, you are literally doing Brian's work. You're very busy, and you came in on short notice. I appreciate it. Um, you've been on a couple times before to guide us through uh, the world of conservative media, which is sort of your your uh, wheelhouse, right? Right. Uh, I'm going to talk about that. And right on cue, we have a big story from the Times yesterday. We're talking Monday. This came out Sunday. I'm assuming it will still be a story on Thursday when this comes up. We'll find well, out. That's that's a big assumption. It is, um, but it, it's, we'll see. It's a slow week. Hopefully, I'm, I'm knocking on the on the podcast table. Um, let's recap what the Times said. They said essentially, and you can correct me, there is a semi shadowy network of uh, conservatives affiliated with the Trump White House that is trying to discredit uh, mainstream uh, newspapers and and. Uh, TV networks like CNN, like the New York Times, um, by finding embarrassing tweets and other uh, digital detritus from right. from anyone, and 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 uh, turning them into stories that run on Breitbart. Have I summed it up correctly? For the most part, I, I think the only issue I would take with your summary is that this hasn't really been done in the shadows. This has been happening in broad daylight, and uh, I think I wrote this in the newsletter last night um, when I was filling in for Brian was that. This has been pretty clearly happening to anyone that's been paying attention for the last year. This is why we bring you on, because you pay attention. So, you know, it, it's it's happened to CNN. Um, CNN reporters have been, or and journalists have been, attacked with uh, this sort of method of digging up embarrassing tweets that they had sent or published, you know, maybe a decade ago. And then it happened to the Washington Post. And last week, it happened to the New York Times. And so we saw on Sunday, um, that must have prompted the story to some extent. On Sunday, we saw the story that details how this works, which is um, a friend of Donald Trump Jr., Arthur Schwartz, appears to be leading this uh, operation, so to speak, where they use Twitter advanced search, go through the the tweets of, of journalists at mainstream news organizations, find things that are embarrassing, archive them, and then save them for releasing at another date. 
And and like you said, this has been going on for a while. Because you follow this, you knew this was happening. Did you get – had you sort of connected all the dots that this was a concerted effort, that this was an uh, – that this wasn't just happening randomly because someone stumbled upon an old tweet? It's 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 been just so clear that this has uh-huh. been happening for so long that, like, I, I know – I guess maybe now people are actually realizing this, but it's been very, very clear. Like, they, they find these tweets. They give them to certain media outlets like Breitbart – they publish the stories, and then this whole network, you can see it moving in action. It's basically the Trump Jr. camp. They will promote, uh, amplify uh, the stories that, that detail these embarrassing tweets from people. So it, it's it's not really surprising. I guess the Times thinks it's surprising because it happened to one of the reporters last week. Yeah. Um, or editors, sorry. But it's, it's been happening for, for quite some time. I want to talk about the reactions to it because the I, in my Twitter feed, a bunch of Times people were retweeting this and, mm-hmm. and uh, A.G. Salzberger, uh, um, the publisher of the Times, uh, had a strong statement uh, saying this is an attack on the press. Um, people who don't work at the Times were also saying this is very unsettling and unnerving. Um, there are other people, you included, said, well, we kind of knew this. And, and I think there's probably another argument that says – this is probably not a lot different than what oppo research people do all the time in sure. political campaigns. And by the way, journalists do it all the time. CNN in particular hired a bunch of people from BuzzFeed who sort of specialized in going through Donald Trump's um, years and years and years of statements and weird-ass tweets. Um, and by the way, everyone does this all the time. Now they, you go find a, a tweet that matches up against it. Sure. That's the opposite of what Trump said today. Um one, uh, how newsworthy is this? And two, how disconcerting is this? Well, well, just one, just because we brought up Andrew Kaczynski and his yeah. team, I think what they do is a lot different than what these operatives are doing. One, they always – they don't strip things of context and these operatives have often stripped things of context. Two, they don't go after people with no relevance or actual influence. They go after people who are um, – and they look into people who are being confirmed by the Senate or being – Appointed to top White House positions, so those those are different. Where, where in this case, in 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 what we're talking about here, is a Times editor I'd never heard of, who's not right. at the top on the, of night, the mast n- night desk on the politics desk. A I CNN mean, photographer, again, people that would walk down the street and would never be identified as an important person in the press. Not to denigrate their work, they're just not famous people. Right, they're not. It's not Maggie Haberman of the New York Times. It's it's this politics editor. And, and not only they're not famous, they're not running the organization. Right, and they're not probably having much influence, if any influence, on the actual White House coverage, Mm -hmm. right? So these are, um, I think at this point, like someone like Maggie Haberman has been vetted and they've probably gone through everything they could find and there's probably nothing there. So now they're basically focusing their aim on people who aren't suspecting to be brought into this information war. And it it happens to be people like, you know, I think CNN had someone from a guest of CNN Arabic was, was targeted uh, recently, and, and people who are not expecting to be drawn into this. Uh, so, but I think that's a big difference, right? It's not like Andrew Kaczynski vetting someone who is up for a Senate confirmed position. Right. It's it's oftentimes just low level, random people who happen to be affiliated with a major news organization. Um, and, and I know for a fact that Andrew will come across stuff from low level White House officials, and he just doesn't run it because it's not newsworthy. It's not these people don't have any influence. He's going after people that have influence and power. Um, so I think that's a, that's a key difference. And the other thing is I think that it's dangerous to equate what these operatives are doing with anything with, that's with journalism. And spell, spell out the difference. Well, they're doing it as, as, a, and as a retaliatory measure for coverage. They're doing it to distract from what the New York Times is reporting and to retaliate against the Times. To prevent journalism to – From to, happening. 
to right. capture to, to, to intimidate the journalists, to intimidate the institutions, to cause fear and and make it so that you know they, they're not as aggressive in their coverage. Um, that's not what journalists do. So I, I think there this is this is not this. I mean, yeah. I, I know they want to draw this comparison between Andrew Kaczynski looking at old statements and them digging up old tweets. Yeah, but the motivations are are not the same, and it's not. It, it's it's just. So different. And I think I was throwing out a big fat softball. Um, and I'll, I'll hit it myself. I think the other main difference, right, is this is not – it's unclear whether this is uh, – how, how aware Donald Trump is of this. Um, and it's unclear whether there's a direct tie. But as you pointed sure. out, these people are affiliated with with the Trumps and with that world. So it's – it's if it's not directly the government going after uh, reporters, it's, it's certainly a couple steps removed from the government going after reporters. And the New York Times story had this line in there where – a couple lines actually, where they asked the White House press office, and they said, you know, the, the Trump's not aware, and we're not aware of this. And yeah. then they asked the campaign, and they said, we're not aware of this either. And I read that, and I was like, what? Are they, how is that possible? Like, I'm aware of it. I don't work in the Trump campaign, and I'm just on Twitter mm -hmm. or you know paying attention to the news environment, and I can see that this is happening. And you're ex telling me that like when Donald Trump Jr., the president's son, is is retweeting and amplifying all these attacks, and one of his best friends is is effectively behind it. And it, you don't even have to have inside information to know this stuff. It's just right there on Twitter. Right. Like, you're not aware of this? Well, it turns out that in 2019, uh, we've learned that sometimes people say things that are not true. And sometimes some of them are affiliated with the White right. House or may work in the White House or may run the White House. Well, the press secretary, the White House press secretary, Stephanie Gresham, just gave a statement last week to Breitbart on that New York Times reporter that had been mm -hmm. targeted by these operatives. And she's telling us that she has no idea. So what does this tell us about the largest state of larger state of play between the Trump White House, conservative media, and sort of mainstream media, and, and how they're working together, not working together? Well, I, I think it's this is a clear uh, escalation of Trump's war on the press, right? Uh, I think that they realize that the press can report things that influence public perception of the White House, and now they're lashing out and they're trying to. It, it's really a lot of whataboutism. So if the New York Times condemns Trump for uh, something he says that's that's you know insensitive to whoever it may be, now then they point out, well, your New York Times editor said right. ten years ago, X, Y, and Z, and so it's a lot of whataboutism. I think that they know that this can be a useful distraction, particularly among um, Trump's Trump's base. Uh, like Fox will run with a lot of the stuff. The conservative media ecosystem will will run wild with the stuff, and it's it's a good way of saying. Why are you only targeting Trump? This guy said something worse. Is the fact that it's it's at least appears to be somewhat coordinated. Um, again, it's not very sophisticated. Anyone can do this. You right. said with a Twitter search, with a Google search. Um, is it is it an? We said it's an escalation. Um, I mean, you had earlier. We've had earlier versions of whataboutism the entire time Trump's been running. Uh, you remember the debate uh, where they brought uh, uh, Bill Clinton's uh, sexual harassment sure. uh, accusers on stage uh, to, to, to underscore um, that supposed hypocrisy. Um, those seemed more um, one-off, um, and we've discussed now a couple times about the idea that a lot of this stuff sort of bubbled up from the bottom of the internet. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, on a Reddit board, on an 8chan board, and some uh, we sort of surfaced its way up to the White House. This seems like it's it's someone's almost more traditionally so it's directing an effort, saying let's do this intentionally. Let's at least right. try to do something specific here. I, I'm curious. I mean, it's, it's it seems pretty clear that these are pro-Trump operatives, so it's probably it's in some way tied to the Trump campaign. But I, I am curious who's funding 
this? Who, who's paying for this opposition research on journalists? And, and we don't know that quite yet. I mean, you can probably take a good educated guesses, but I think knowing definitively who is behind this would, would be very interesting. And, and of course, they're not going to reveal who's who's behind it. They don't even want to think of it as like a they, they portray themselves as not an organized effort. They're just looking at tweets like like journalists do. Where where are the stories like about the the you know when you when you discredit a New York the we attempt to discredit the New York Times because a night editor there wrote something stupid in college, um, where is that story supposed to run? Where is it supposed to be distributed? Um, it, it originally ran in Breitbart and sure. there's fingerprints all over it. Is the idea that that a Breitbart reader it's going to read Breitbart readerships alone? Is it is the idea that we're going to amplify the story well, it somehow? It doesn't end up seeping way? into the mainstream because. You know, when a New York Times editor says something anti-Semitic, I obviously then have to reach out to the New York Times, and I should reach out to the New York Times and ask, like, "Hey, what's what's going on with this editor?" Do you write that story? Did you write the story last we week? We put it in the newsletter. So let's let's just put the context there. Uh, Brian Stelter created what is now a very influential newsletter that it's pretty really comprehensive roundup of of media news daily. Right. Comes comes. It, Gives me great anxiety when it shows up in my inbox around midnight. Um, you're doing that now. Um, you said it goes in the newsletter, which means it reaches thousands. Yeah, I'm assuming. it's not a it's not a full blown story, but it's it's we wrote an but item in the you're newsletter. You're putting it in front of a lot of people who sure. have influence in media and politics. And, sure, um, you could not do that. You could say, look, this is an attempt to discredit the Times, and if we don't give it oxygen, it won't go any further. But at the same time, then you have an editor who did say anti-Semitic things, and the New York Times says. Right, that we think these are clear violations of our policy, and we're reviewing the matter. So, on the other hand, it's a, it's an actual legitimate news story at this point. Now, I think the important thing to do there is to put it in context of how did this come to be, and that's what we 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 try to do is say that this is part of a larger effort, right, to discredit the press. That said, I think you have to cover um, the New York Times putting a uh, a uh, editor on leave and and saying that they're reviewing these things after. Um, old tweets that are anti-Semitic have been uncovered. Um, The Times has has 1,500 employees, I think, roughly? It's a very tricky situation. So presumably, and and, and again, the Times story quotes people affiliated with this group saying, we're going to do tons of these. There's some question marks about that because like you said, if there were more consequential people, they probably would have already floated it. Um, But presumably the Times and CNN, other big organizations are going to keep, they're going to keep seeing versions of these, right? Twitter, Facebook um, has lots is filled with lots of stupid stuff. You have a lot of employees. Some of them will have said and done stupid things in their and this past, is the and first it's documented. Real generation that's grown up with social media, and so people right. have been tweeting and scrolling around in high school, scrolling around in college. Right. We've seen we've seen entertainers, athletes, et cetera. Of course, regular people who happen to work in media are going to have done this as well. Sure, and people I think forget about the things that they may have said in high school while on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, and then these operatives. Remind them basically they, after they've dug yeah. dug through their stuff, and I think you've seen them say stuff. Pe- people have said stuff like, "I I totally forgot that I had made these these comments." Every seven to ten days, I I say it's nice to be old because I don't have a digital trail um, for my high school and college years, right? And even my mid twenties, right? It's quite it's 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 a uh, it gives me some comfort. I will say back to your point about these bad faith actors. There's an interesting setup here where the New York Times obviously is going to respond, and, and Salzburg has said we're going to respond when people break our policies, and, and it's uncovered whether it's bad faith actors or not. And so when I think about this in my head, I think of a, a very conventional army almost, right, yep. under attack 
by people using guerrilla warfare tactics. People throwing stones. And a stone doesn't seem like a big deal, but it's still but the causes problems. But the goal of, of these people is not to defeat this entire army. Yep. Their goal is to make them bleed a little bit, right? Because then they can they can really use that. It, it's sort of like the scene in 300 when, you know, the spear is thrown yep. at. Um, oh, who was a king? I don't know. I don't know. I didn't actually watch the movie, but I get, okay. I get, but you get, yeah, you get the yeah, reference. Pick, pick any, pick any guerrilla right. uh, movement against a, a big established sure. army, whether it's the, I'm going to, I'm going to not quote military history because I don't know much of it, but, um, but yes, I get it. Um, there is an argument that says, look, that, that you could just ignore this. You could just move on. The times could move on. The times could remind everyone to go check out their Twitter and their Facebook. It does seem like the times in particular, um, because it is the preeminent newspaper, um, draws the most attention, um, is the most sort of convulsed about how to deal with this. Um, it, it just recently uh, demoted a much more prominent editor uh, for for bad tweets and, and did it on its own. It wasn't the right wing. Right. Uh, well, that was a, that's a whole other... Right, right. But these, these are all new problems that it wouldn't have had a couple years ago because sure. there really wasn't a social media profile for these guys. Totally. I, 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 yeah, I, I that guy was, you know, he was... Although I, I guess some people in right wing media actually accidentally inf- conflated the two. Yep. Um, I was going to make a point. And I can't remember it at this point. You want to think about your point? We'll take a break. We'll be right yeah, back. Yeah, let's do that. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You've heard it before. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. But it's more than just a tagline because State Farm agents are small business owners themselves who live and work in your community. And if you're in the market for small business insurance, Who better to work with than an agent who understands what it takes? State Farm agents can help you create a personalized insurance plan that fits your small business needs and budget. Talk to your local State Farm agent today about small business insurance. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Yeah, I have no idea what it is. (laughs) (laughs) We're still here with Oliver Darcy. He's going to think the entire interview about what his point was, and then if we can't remember it, we'll put it up online. I do want to talk to you about uh, just the, the conservative media landscape. When we first started talking to you about this a couple of years ago, a lot of attention focused on the Mike Cernoviches of the world, mm-hmm. uh, Milo Yiannopoulos. Am I pronouncing his last name Think correctly? So. And post-election, a lot of emphasis placed on, uh, placed on these trolls and how they were feeding uh, sort of a general conservative news movement. Um, again, we would sort of start with them or start with A-Chan and Reddit and bubble up. Don't hear much talk about them now. Even last year when we, you guys came on to talk about this, that they had sort of receded from the conversation. Um, Cernovich is still on Twitter. Milo has been deplatformed. What, what accounts for the, the diminished, seeming diminished influence of those individual trolls like that? Well, I think part of their influence is always tethered to how much media coverage mm-hmm. they were receiving. And back in 2016, they were the shiny new object. Yep. And New Trump Yorker profiles shocked everyone by winning the election. And so people were trying to figure out how did this happen. And obviously, this was a key component of it. And so it received a lot of coverage and in turn, I think, gave some of these people uh, added sense of influence. Um, we saw the same thing with Breitbart where people were covering Breitbart and Breitbart had a lot of its power and influence tethered to the ability to jump into a cable news chiron because of something they posted. Right. And also – they were directly connected to Steve sure. Bannon. Steve right. Bannon was right. in the White House. Not to diminish those things either, yeah. but I think a good chunk of their influence was tethered to how much media attention or media coverage they could drive. Mm-hmm. And I think after a while, you know, they're not really new. We kind of know their yeah. game. We know what they do. And so those stories about the Mike Cernoviches of the world have considerably decreased. 
as have the stories about how things end up in Trump's Twitter feed because at this point we know that it's either he saw it on Fox and Friends and Fox and Friends saw it from some right-wing website and right. that right-wing website picked it up probably from some message board. A lot of that mystery it's, has been solved. Right. And so I'm not sure what value a lot of these stories would add in, in this in some cases, right, we've also we, – we've sort of bypassed the Cernoviches of the world and right now we're focused on the 8chans of the world, um, mm-hmm. the sort of the swamp where it comes from. We don't care about the individual who created it so much. We care about sort of the, the ecosystem that allowed it to, to bubble up. And I think at this point too, we're, we're also focused maybe on, on Fox because Fox has considerably got, gotten considerably more pro-Trump you know, in the past four years and – they have a larger mi- microphone and, and and more influence on this president than anything else. So right. while the Cernoviches are interesting because a lot of the things they say end up on Fox, I think Fox is really becoming more of the main story. Right. We know that it's possible Trump is scrolling through his Twitter and maybe hitting a random retweet. We we definitely know that he is spending hours watching TV. Sure. And and Tucker Carlson and Sean Hannity and all these guys. So and they have I direct. Think, pi- they're both. He's both watching them. They have direct pipelines. We, we, and they've we, been talking we, to him. Right. We know where all that's coming from. How much has uh, Twitter, Facebook, Google's efforts to to rein in their platforms, which they say are, is is uh, uh, non ideological? Conservatives argue otherwise. How much has have those efforts? diminished the reach of Cernovich. Milo's been kicked off a lot of the platforms already. Yeah, you have to divide it up. I think, for instance, Alex Jones is no longer on any of these platforms. Mm-hmm. Someone like Laura Loomer has also been taken off most of these platforms. Milo has been taken off most of these platforms. So there has been some efforts by these tech companies to um, actually buckle down on people who break their rules and, and frequently violate right. so them. Right. And, and, and I've heard this, and I, I think you're saying this now, is that it really has been effective in diminishing those specific individuals' reach and influence. The only that time they didn't just ever, take their audience and show up on right. another platform. The only time I ever hear about Milo these days is when people talk about how deplatforming him actually reduced his reach. Uh-huh. And there's al- there's always the the talk of, well, if you take them off this platform, they'll just move somewhere else. We haven't really seen that happen in a big way yet. Sure, they, some of them do eventually move to a platform like Telegram or or Discord or whatever it may be. But we haven't seen it happen in a way that would really, you know, he had millions of followers on on the main social platforms. Right. Now he's probably reduced to a few thousand. And there's been discussions about creating alternate platforms, and those go about as well as you would imagine, because even really smart people, really well financed people, have been unable to unseat Facebook or Twitter or Snapchat. Um, right. The idea that someone's going to find an ideological one that will work as well doesn't seem to work it's right now. It's difficult if you're not on one of the main platforms. Yeah. You know, if you are on Twitter, at least you have Facebook or YouTube. But when you're removed from all the major, you know, three or four social platforms, it becomes very, very difficult, I think, for these people to get their message out. And they do obviously have the ability to post on other places, but the audience just really isn't there. And what what about uh, uh, the, the, the Breitbarts of the world, the Daily Callers of the world, um, that definitely had gotten a big boost from Facebook in particular over the last couple of years. Um, what is happening to their audiences as Facebook um, is, is pushing away from sending traffic to publishers in general and is also cracking down on disinformation? Yeah, I'm not sure that I, – I, I could be wrong. I'm not sure that those efforts have impacted Breitbart and Daily Caller. Um, Breitbart's way down, but right? Breitbart, yeah, Breitbart's way down. I think that's a different story. I don't, I don't know if it's – Tether to Facebook, I think it's just way down because Fox 
happened to realize that if we go all in on Trump, we can just take away half this audience. Right. And so I think Plus they lost Steve Bannon and, that's what's and, and Steve Bannon lost his perch. Sure. But even if you look at the website right now, it's not much different than when Steve Bannon was running it. Right. It's, but it's the, less the, interesting. The, the appeal of it, sure. I imagine, I mean, certainly to me, right, it's it's much less important if, if we can't if we're not thinking that this is directly in Donald Trump's ear one way or another. It, but that audience is probably read. not as like that's the New York audience that was uh-huh. reading Breitbart just to know what. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not, I'm not saying that my lack the, of interest in Breitbart the core, is reduced. The core of Breitbart audience, I think, has probably realized that you know they're watching Fox now. They're yeah. actually reading Fox online. Before, if you would look at Fox, Fox's digital operation was terrible several years ago. They've put a lot of resources into their digital operation, and they've gotten considerably more of a. It's more of a tabloid feel. It's more of that Breitbart feel, right. and it, it has more of a. Uh, message, a, a, a narrative when you go to the website. This is this main counter that Facebook has. I don't know if they – sometimes they'll say it on the record, sometimes off the record when they're they're accused of bias. They'll mm-hmm. say, take a look at the most popular publishers on, on Facebook. Starts with Fox and then there's a whole slew of other uh, – Well, the Daily Wire is an interesting one that doesn't get talked about at all. It's Ben Shapiro's website, the Daily Wire. And that one's always almost in the top 10 rankings of, mm-hmm. of most shared articles a day on Facebook. Um. Two other articles I wanted to ask you about. Uh, one one was by uh, folks at NBC about the Epic Times. Right. Another – like there's this whole ecosystem of websites that most normal people have not heard about mm-hmm. that are absolutely killing it on Facebook. And and, 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 and explain, explain what the Epic Times was and how they're killing it on Facebook. Uh, it's this um, really bizarre – I would urge everyone to read this NBC story because it, I can't explain it in, the, in a good way. But it's a really bizarre – um, website that's that's pro-Trump. It's it's anti-communist, and it's been um, I can't pronounce it. Can you pronounce? I'm going to say Falun Gong, but I'm fo- I'm going to admit that I'm I mean, there's a decent chance I'm mispronouncing it. Right, they're they're followers of this like Chinese meditation. Um, I don't know what, to, what, what it's it called. A sect for now, and then we can apologize. Yes, yeah, so, exactly. And, and and they've been publishing a lot of pro-Trump material in the past. A uh, few years, and as as a tactic, not because they inherently are pro-Trump. I think, right? Right, right. Yeah. Um, but it's it's got a lot of reach on Facebook. They have um, a significant amount of reach on Facebook, and I think NBC reported that they spent more money on pro-Trump ads than basically anyone else on Facebook. But it's flown under the radar for for quite some time, and um, even though it's it's got so much reach. And and there was a, another article, different tact about another thing that a normal person, although millions of people have read this stuff, uh, would, I had never heard of, and I should know about them, uh, called WesternJournal.com. That's another. That's another big Facebook conservative esque website, um, and that one's a little tricky. But it was uh, part of uh, Liftable Media, I think, yep. for a while, and uh, it, it's another pro-Trump website, or it's really just it's just feeding conservative red meat. It's it's there's a, there's a whole ecosystem of websites that popped up on Facebook um, over the past several years that they realized they can publish these like you know anti-Hillary Clinton stories or just pro-Trump right. stories. This one had an interesting heritage. It was Floyd Brown, who one, uh, is a is a Republican operative. He's also the guy who created Citizens United, and you can go mm-hmm. Wikipedia uh, why that why that name is important. Uh, his son was running it. Um, and it was both ideological and also just a content farm. Um, and the point of the article was the Facebook, Google, et cetera, have all punished them. Facebook and Google say for violating publishing practices, very specific SEO things that, that Google says they were doing that were clear violations. They argue this is a, a political retaliation. Of course they do. Every every conservative 
esque website that gets their um, that gets targeted by an algorithm or or, or the loses traffic because of an algorithm tweak says it's a political thing. I think it comes down to Facebook is trying to crack down on bad information, and a lot of these right wing websites are putting a lot of bad information out into the ecosystem and poisoning the conversation. And so naturally, when Facebook tweaks an algorithm or implements new policies to get rid of bad information, they are targeted or they're not targeted, but they are they feel the effects of those policies. Um, you don't see the same thing happening for reputable conservative publications. Uh, you, I don't think you would see the same thing happening for The Wall Street Journal, for instance, or The National Review or some of these more reputable uh, outlets that have been around for some time. But you see it happening for these uh, there needs to be almost a name for these these junk right wing websites that just are content farms looking for traffic with cheap ads on them, and and those content farms are seeing traffic decreased over the past several years, though not not quite enough where where they're still you know in the top ten often when you look at still meaningful businesses yeah or still meaningful potentially bu- meaningful businesses. not as much as it was maybe ten years ago or five years ago but still getting a lot of traffic. And and when you see Trump and uh, senators uh, uh, now complaining about uh, bias from the big tech companies, this is now a favorite whipping horse for them. Do you think they're doing it because they think it moves voters, or do you think it's just a convenient narrative? I, I mean, I believe it's a bad faith argument. Um, so if we stipulate that, do they think that this is actually going to sway voters in some way, or this is just a thing to talk about among the sort of swirl of other things you want to talk about? I kind of. Divide these into two camps. I think there are some people in Congress that actually believe uh, that conservatives are under attack because they watch Fox, they get their news from this conservative ecosystem, and so they, I think, sincerely believe that you know why is so and so not banned? Why is Antifa not banned when you know Alex Jones is? And mm-hmm. and, and they believe this sort of rhetoric coming from these right wing websites and, and outlets. On the other hand, I think there are some other people who are smart enough to know how these things work who are very clearly using it for political gain. And so I divide those those two up. An interesting thing is, um, while we talk about some of these examples, is I'm pretty sure if there was a similar movement on the left, like if you had a James O'Keefe on the left, right, mm-hmm. a liberal James O'Keefe. James I, O'Keefe is the gotcha video guy. Sure, he's a he's a right wing, guerrilla journalist, I guess. If, I don't know how you call it, but he's a right wing guy who films these. Uh, Tries to get Secret a New York Times editor or a Google sure. employee to say, I don't like Trump. Yeah. So and if you had a, if you, that video if you had a left-wing it. version of them and, and I, I secretly was recording a, a whole bunch of Facebook employees, I am pretty sure I can get someone from Facebook to say, we are so biased in favor of conservatives. Facebook is terrified of the right. They will yep. bend over backwards to appease these conservatives. By the way, it's true. Yeah. And so I, I then could probably publish a video, you know, edit it very nicely and publish a video that says Facebook is actually biased for conservatives, not against them. They're they're pro-conservatives. And so I just think a lot of these secretive videos that have been coming out from um, the right and a lot of these cherry-picking of, of specific examples are not – it does not tell the full full story. And it, I'm almost certain you could find the exact same you – know, the opposite sort of examples from the left. We keep talking about Fox News and, and, and even though we spend a lot of time talking about Fox News, I don't think we talk nearly enough about it. Um, it's clearly sort of the most important part of Donald Trump's media diet. Um, it's clearly the most consequential right-wing media organization. Um, I'm a little astonished that Roger Ailes, who created this thing basically out of whole cloth, he's long gone. He's 
literally dead. Um, all of his top managers have been have been pushed out. Bill O'Reilly, who for a long time was the face and and star there, has been pushed out. Um, its influence is is undiminished, maybe stronger than ever. Yeah, it, I think it is definitely stronger than ever because you have the president of the United States watching almost. It seems like at this point, every episode of every show. And live tweeting it and then setting policy based on what he sees on Fox and Friends. So in other administrations, of course, Fox has been powerful. They have a big microphone. They set the agenda on the right. But in this case, it's not only are they pushing a narrative forward in, in the American conversation, they're actually influencing policies um, on a, you know, unprecedented level, I would say. Um, and again, it, it, it kind of un- it doesn't undermine the, the discussion we were having post-election for a couple years about Facebook and Twitter and trolls and right-wing disinformation farm, all important conversations to have. But I really think for a long time we underplayed Fox, either because it was an old story or we didn't fully grasp it. Sure. I think we're starting to sort of get our head around it right now. I think it's it's the shiny object, like I said, was the right-wing internet personalities for a while. And I do think they have a lot of influence and I think they end up – getting things into the mainstream narrative quite effectively. And I think that's still the case. But when you look at what Fox is capable of and what they're doing on a daily, hourly basis, it's, you know, it's nothing like we've ever seen. You, you pointed out to me a couple times when I sort of have you guide me through which websites are, are waning, which ones are waxing. You say, you, you got to pay attention to Drudge. We don't talk about it anymore. It's incredibly important. Is, is, is Drudge as important as he has been? I think Drudge is really interesting right now, actually, and I think he's still very important. Uh, but over the past few days, I'm actually pulling it up on my website, on my phone right now to see what his front page looks like this morning. But over the past few days, he's been extremely critical of the president. Like it's almost like if you had pictured an anti, uh, anti-Trump Drudge report mm-hmm. and in your mind, and then looked at his page, and it was actually that. He's been really, really um, critical of the president on his handling of the economy. He was featuring polls that showed the president unpopular. He was talking – it was featuring a poll even the other day that said that like an, a certain amount of Republicans would be happy if he wasn't the uh, the on top of the ticket for the 2020 campaign. So I think that's really something you want to pay attention to. Trump will complain when a Fox News host says something that isn't flattering or sure. isn't, fl- isn't flattering enough or is actually unflattering to him. Um, the fact that he's not talking about Drudge leads us to believe that he doesn't read Drudge himself. I don't think he actually – he doesn't go to the Drudge Report. Uh-huh. I, I have heard that you know he does have uh, people who show him the front page right. here and there. And, and, and Presumably he's, they're he's, not going to show it to him if it's, if, it, if it's bad, right? He doesn't want to see stuff. Right, and bad. he's also tweeted out um, some stuff about Drudge over the years. But outside of whether the president's paying attention to them, Drudge has always for – you know since the dawn of the internet set – the agenda on the right for for stories. And so if he's actually turned on Trump, I would be very worried if I were the president going into this 2020 election that he just lost a key media ally, someone who has rewarded publishers in, in the past few years for publishing pro-Trump content because he's happily linked to it. And now if Drudge is saying, I'm no longer interested in that, I'm interested in in stories that are critical of the president, that can have a huge effect on the conservative media ecosystem. And and what it means, he, it, it really also is, it, it comes down to a test of how much power Drudge does have. I think it's been underestimated for some time, and I, I guess we'll see. It also could be too, just throwing this out there, um, that Drudge had a mood swing and was upset with 
deposit had a bad for day, a few days. So his 401k <laughs> or his, his stock portfolio dropped and was pissed off about right. it. Right. And then he could go back to being pro-Trump. Um, and we've seen Drudge fire warning shots at this president before. I have been noticing, though, and I, I, it does feel a little different this past few days, just the, the sheer velocity of anti or Trump or critical stories critical of the president on his website, the way he's been featuring them, suggests to me that he may have flipped on the president in a similar way that Ann Coulter flipped on the president. What is a website or a media figure or media organization that you are paying much more attention to now that you weren't doing a year ago? Hmm. Who's ascendant and, and, and newly important in your eyes? Um, you know, it's it's really just I don't know if there's anything important. I think what's more interesting is who I'm not paying as much attention uh-huh. to, which is which is Breitbart and Infowars and some of these other websites that you've seen have steep declines of influence. Um, I, I actually pointed this out to Brian the other day, but we had a spate of mass shootings, unfortunately, uh, in the past month, right? Yep. I think it was the first time where I didn't see a whole bunch of crisis actor conspiracy theories immediately pop up on Twitter and Facebook. And I went to Infowars and I still looked at it and, and they were there on the page, but it didn't make that jump into There were the, stories saying this is a, f- a fake, this didn't sure. actually happen, or it's the being exaggerated. Guns and they're, yep. they're making these things up. And But you didn't actually see that jump into the mainstream or, or somewhat mainstream conversation on Twitter. Um, and I think that's probably because they've lost a lot of influence after they've been deplatformed by some of these companies. They don't have a, a way to wiggle into that conversation. Uh, I can't, I'm going to mispronounce her name. Tommy Lauren? Lauren. Lauren. Yeah. Um, not someone I normally pay attention to, but for a while was showing up my Twitter feed a lot because she was saying something outrageous and she seemed to have some sort of – she was ascending. She's been in my Twitter feed the last few days, but people are making fun of a, 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 a fashion line. line, an athleisure line that I think may or may not involve gun holsters. <laughs> um, but I, I, I was mostly struck by, oh, yeah, I haven't heard about her or from her in a long time. Yeah, that was, uh, you know, that could be because her show is behind a paywall. Mm-hmm. It's on Fox Nation. And so to watch her, you would have to pay for a Fox Nation subscription. Yeah, how is Fox Nation doing this? Is This is Fox's attempt to create a subscription video product like everyone else wants to do. Um, it's not Fox News. Um, it's 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 for Fox News diehards. How's that, how's that going? Well, they haven't released information on how many subscribers they have. I haven't really, in terms of influence, it has probably no influence on the larger conversation, it just seems like maybe they're taking money from people who— Because that's a pretty good proxy often, right? If if, if it's doing well, right, um, you're either going to hear about it or the story's behind a paywall, but you've got to jump over the paywall to get to— you would sort of have a sense sort of uh, um, organically of how it's going without actually having to see the numbers. Right. Look, Tommy Lahren, for instance, is a, it's a good person to point to. Her monologues uh, used to go viral— Pretty frequently, I would say, like every few weeks, there would be a new Tommy Lahren monologue that's circulating on Twitter and Facebook, and she's trending and all this stuff. You really don't see that anymore, and that's probably because Fox Nation is not something that a lot of people are paying attention to. Right. Um, there is no paywall at Recode Media. It's a free product coming to your ears without you spending a dollar. That means that we ask you to hear from our advertisers. We'll be right back. Support for this show comes from Slack. You're a growing business, and you can't afford to slow down. If anything, you could probably use a few more hours in the day. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles, and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. 
or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Back here at Recode Media with Oliver Darcy. Hi, Oliver. Hey. Um, I've always wanted to ask you how you got into this business because I started seeing your stuff at Business Insider and you had this this cool beat covering right-wing media again when this we were newly interested yeah. in it. Um, whenever I look at your bio, it says that you worked at The Blaze. Yes. Uh, which, which was Glenn Beck's, I guess still is. It's, is it The Blaze? It still is. Glenn Beck's thing. Um, Gone through several transformations, I should note. Yeah. Uh, Media reporter ecosystem grudgingly gets a little bit more diverse year after year, but you generally don't find people who work for Glenn Beck or really any right any any hard right wing publication sort of in 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 your midst. Um, how did you get into this business? Well, it's it's a interesting I guess road. Um, when I was in call or I was in high school, I'll start back in high school. I was obsessed with journalism. Where was, I was this? In Fresno, California. Don't meet I, many people from Fresno. I was on the school paper. I became executive editor, loved journalism, and I wanted to go into journalism. And so I looked at different schools and ended up picking a school that didn't have a journalism major. So I ended up doing poli-sci. Where was this? At UC Merced. Where's Merced? Merced is like, well, it's in... Couple hours outside the Bay Area. Okay, that's probably the best way to put it for people who. I, and before everyone accuses me of being a New York snob, I grew up in Minnesota, so I'm very sensitive to flyover <laughs> land commentary. Yeah, so it's a very small town, uh -huh. but it's the new it's a, it's the newest University of California institution, and they didn't have a journalism major. So I did poli sci, and while I was in college, I ended up finding my way into conservative like activism and and whatnot. As and, as one does, as, as some do, as as some do, yes. And so outside of – after I leave college, I become interested in, in both – I'm interested in conservative politics. I'm interested also in journalism still. And so I find myself in this right-wing media universe. What, so what does that mean? What, where are you working? What are you doing? So initially I went to this nonprofit and I started – this is actually funny because most people don't know this. I, I, I helped launch this website that covered college um, – Colleges. It was called Campus Reform, which is I, I will say I don't. So you're like looking the for political version. bias on college don't like, campus. Don't like the call the current version. I of assume it. you were cracking down on on PC violations and hate speech uh, statutes. There's a lot of stuff. We we like to think we covered waste, fraud, and abuse uh -huh. on college campuses, which tends to I guess conservatives tend to like finding waste, fraud, and abuse in government. Uh -huh. um, anyway, so I launched this website. We were very clear from the beginning, though. That this needed to be a, a written in a um, pretty neutral manner, like or no one's gonna no one's gonna believe it if you write this like blog, right? It needs to be written like in a traditional manner. So we 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 start this website. Facts, right? And I end up moving to the Blaze shortly after, which is Glenn Beck's new um, new media empire. This is which launching. era of Glenn Beck? Because he was so uh, he's, he's on CNN, left, he was on Fox, he he's had a split just with left Fox. Fox, and he start he's decided that he's going to start his own media. He's going to sell subscriptions to Glenn Beck um, online, and then the, the Blaze is is sort of the website that right. supports that effort. So, so when I'm pitched on this, I'm pitched on, we want to do good journalism here. It's going to be center-right. It's going to be like the Huffington Post. In fact, we're going to hire, we have hired the former president of the Huffington Post, Betsy Morgan, mm -hmm. to lead this operation at the Blaze. We've hired people who have uh, a strong history in journalism to come over, and we're going to be the... Uh, center-right version of the Huffington Post, still adhering to normal journalism values and, and principles, but we're going to be covering things that they're probably not that interested in. So it was a very good pitch for me. 
And this was the time that Facebook was was doing really well, sending bonkers traffic to basically anyone who had a page. A, 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 a business model that said, well, what we're going to do is put stuff on Facebook, get a lot of traffic, and then grow really big right. um, was pretty standard. Right. And it, well, the only thing that was separate, it, it, was, it was standard, but the thing that separated the blaze from actually the rest of the conservative ecosystem was because Glenn Beck had a falling out with Breitbart and because Breitbart was very close to Matt Drudge. Drudge, for the most part, refused to link to The Blaze, like just would not do it, just ignored the whole thing. And so The Blaze was very reliant on finding traffic outside of Drudge, which is not the norm for conservative media. Usually you rely on getting Drudge links uh, to drive like the, the bulk of the traffic. And so anyway, so we were on Facebook and, and, and all the stuff, and um, Facebook at some point turns off the fire hose. And that's when, you know, things that the company – um, you know, headed south, I would say. The company's pretty well documented, struggled financially. Right. And then Beck, by the way, keeps morphing his political views. There was a period sort of post-Trump where he was very apologetic. We don't have enough time to document yeah. everything that's happened in the place, but I'll just save you. We'll just fast forward. We went through like four CEOs, and I was at some point asked to do something that I found an unethical, um, and I refused to do it, and I thought I lost my job actually over it. And so I started looking for They further. wanted you to write something, publish something? They wanted me to delete something because someone had complained. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you Google it, you'll okay. see a story. Um, but I, I didn't decline to do that. And so I started looking for other other opportunities. And I saw Business Insider Politics position open. And I was um, obviously very interested in that. And so I ended up moving to Business Insider. And while I had left in while you're inside this conservative ecosystem i had done some writing about like what the guys like Sean Hannity and Fox were doing but the, you're very limited on what you can write while you're inside this universe but once i had left i wanted to keep writing about what was going on in conservative media because i thought that if you look at what happens in conservative media you can see what's happening in the uh republican party at large and you were noticing this huge rift forming between the pro-Trump side of conservative media and the never-Trump side of conservative media. And so I started writing about that a lot. And, um, you know, you saw like Glenn Beck stake out a position on the never-Trump side. Sean Hannity staked out the position on the conservative side. These two people who had become friends were suddenly sniping at each other. Very, very interesting stuff. Lots of drama. Um, makes for really good stories. And so I started covering this a lot um, while also editing the politics section at Business Insider. And... I guess that was how I ended up reporting on media. It was it was through reporting on conservative media. Right. So you, you start off by your own admission, conservative. Um, you're interested in conservative politics, more into conservative media. You're within conservative media, creating more conservative media. And then at some point you've moved out of it and are reporting about conservative sure. media. There's some obvious advantages, right? You're super well sourced. You know these people. You're, I remember for a while you would you were obviously uh, knew a lot of folks who work at Breitbart because you were publishing screenshots of Slack conversations at Breitbart. That's the kind of thing you can almost only get if you're from that world. Sure. Um, have you had to sort of consciously think about, all right, I'm no longer in that world. We'll leave aside what your actual political affiliations and, and, and biases are. Um, have you had to sort of disavow that world as you've moved from Business Insider into CNN? Have you sort of rethought your worldview? Uh, my worldview? Both. I mean, both in terms of what sort of stuff you were doing in the past and sure. also how you view the world, how you view uh, ideological media, how you view media in general. Um, you know— I've learned a lot while I was at The Blaze, 
And I think we did a lot of good work at the plays. Um, obviously, I, I probably, if you showed me, I don't know how many stories I wrote at the plays, probably like 5,000, 10,000. I probably would not write a lot of those stories the same you way. You wrote five to 10,000 stories at the plays? Probably, Over yeah. what period? Um, I think three to four years. Okay. So if you, if you think you're producing a lot, look at Oliver. Yeah. Well, you know, the, uh, obviously, completely different medium. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of this stuff is more like, you know, short posts. Yep. You know, with a video and a headline and, you know, you hit publish on mm-hmm. WordPress. Um. But I don't, I don't talk about my worldview anymore. I don't think it's important. I, I will say that one thing I'm biased against is hypocrisy and, and two sets of standards. And I think that my job is to hold people accountable when they, you know, when they're telling me that they want one thing, but they're actually doing something else. And I think, I think that's, that's important. And you see this in, a lot in this Trump era where he'll say one thing and then say something else within two seconds. And so it's a lot of that. But also I think the era we're in is no longer – about you don't hear large discussions on cable news about tax policy and whether cutting taxes is good or bad. What you end up talking about is like, this is not reality, what the president is saying. Like, this is just not tethered to reality and and trying to bring people back into reality. So we're at least having a common set of facts. I think that's- That's your ideology is is facts. You know, I, I think it's like, we, we need to bring people back to like- Reality. I think what you see a lot of times is is people who are, um, you know, in, in the Kellyanne Conway's uh, words, using alternative facts to to present an alternative reality to people. And I think that the big story in terms of media right now, and you see this not only on from mainstream organizations, but even like some of the uh, traditional conservative organizations, like the Bulwark, which has been launched by. You know, Bill Crystal and Charlie uh, Sykes. And never Trumpers. Or effectively they're never Trumpers, never Trumpers, but they're conservatives. Right. They are conservatives. But the large story is not like tax cuts are good, you know, and, and X, Y, and Z, like on the conservative front, like we need national defense. It's strong. Like those are the traditional conservative things. You don't hear much talk about that. It's like Trump's doing something crazy. And here's like why it's crazy. And like, why is no one else pointing out that this is bananas right and or by why are the people who used to say it's bananas now saying nah, we don't see any right and the people this. who would have never tolerated any of the stuff under like a president hillary clinton like can you imagine just like your mind explodes thinking about some of these things i pointed out last week that if a barack obama paused and looked up at the heavens and said i am the chosen one and as he declared a tra- or escalated a trade war with china like it's impossible to even think about how Fox would cover that because it would just be apocalyptic. Like there would be – they would have to create new banners and graphics for how they would cover this administration if they applied even half the standards they applied to the last administration. So I think back to my overall point, it's less about policy these these days. It's less about like your actual ideology. It's, it comes down to are you willing to acknowledge reality or are you not? I want to leave it right there. Let's acknowledge reality. Let's enjoy our Labor Day weekend or whenever you happen to be listening to this. Oliver, delighted you came by. Thank you. Uh, thanks to Zachary Mack. Thanks to Jelani Carter. Thanks to Michael France sitting in for Joel Robbie. Thanks to our advertisers who bring this podcast to you for free. No paywall. No paywall yet. Um, thanks to you guys for listening. If you like this podcast, please tell someone else however you see fit. Thanks. See you soon.
Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>